Well, that's all right. That's why we have grace and mercy for each other here. We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings this morning. I just wanted to pass on to you real quickly. A couple weeks ago, it was, uh, what was it? Gosh, it was something really important. I can't remember. It was like Teacher Appreciation Week. And so for all the faculty at 40LC, we got them some Zingerman's pies to bless all of them. And they all wrote a couple nice thank you cards, too many thank you cards. And they were like, we're so grateful. Thank you, Radiant Church. We love you guys. We're so glad that you buy us pies. And like, they just know that we love them. So thank you that, that we're able to do that as a church and to really demonstrate love and what that looks like to other people and just blessing. And, and our teachers and all the faculty that are there, I mean, they are on the front lines and they are doing something incredible in our community. And we're just so grateful for them. So Father... This morning, thank you for 40LC, God. Thank you for every faculty person there, God. Thank you for every student, every parent, God, every family member. And Jesus, we're so grateful that you gave to us and that now as we give back, we're seeing you do incredible things all across our city, God, all across our nation and this world. You're just so miraculous and so honored to be a part of what it is that you're doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're new here, thank you so much for being our guest this weekend. I know there's a lot of things you could have done, but you chose to be with us, and we're honored by that. In the seat back in front of you, there's some communication cards. We'd love to have you fill one of those out, turn it in, and then uh, we have a free T-shirt for you as a way of saying thanks for being here with us today. And then I'll send you an email this week just welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. You're not going to get spammed or added to a credit card list or anything like that. We keep it all private, confidential, no hassle guarantee. Uh, we have our Next Steps Engage class today. If you've been a part of Radiant for a while and your next step is to get involved in what God's doing here, we would love to have you. It takes place about 10 minutes after service lets out. So you can go grab your coffee, water, whatever. Get back in here. It's an opportunity to hear some vision from the different ministry heads and find out a place that you can connect with and use your gifts and different talents that you have so we can continue to make more room for more people to encounter Jesus. And then also we have water baptisms coming up June 11th. And what baptism is, it's a symbol of saying that, yes, I'm identifying with Jesus and his death, his burial, and resurrection. I've made a decision to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. So I'm going to be baptized as my public declaration of that. So if you haven't done that yet and you're a believer, we'd love to have you do that with us. Once again, on the communication card on the back of it, you can sign up for baptism. And we'll get a hold of you this week and let you know everything you need to do. But again, that's going to be June 11th right here. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. As we continue our series, Investigating Jesus, just trying to figure out more about who he is and what his teachings were and how that affects our life. And uh, we're coming up, this fall, we will be five years old as a church, which is blowing my mind that it's going so fast. And I remember when we launched, we got a barrage of emails from all the other art churches. There's like 500 of them. So uh, like my inbox was just blown up with all of these different pastors from different art churches. And they're saying, hey, you know, Radiant Church, we love you. God's going to do awesome things. We're so excited for you, blah, blah, blah. And so it was really encouraging to read that as we're getting ready to do something new that I'd never done before. I remember this one came from Matt Keller down in Fort Myers Church, Next Level Church. And it was the, hey, Jeremy, you know, we love you, Radiant Church, blah, 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 all that stuff. And he's like, and hey, also, just so you know, I have a coaching program. For just $350, you can be a part of this coaching network. And we'll try. I'm like, what a jerk. Like, he's trying to push his product on me as, as we're getting ready to launch, and he's using this congratulatory email as a way to try to get me to give him $350. And I was like, dude, what a clown. And you're like, delete, block, whatever. And then I didn't think anything of it. Well, two years later, I'm talking to one of my friends, and I, I told him, I said, you have grown so much as a leader. 
Like, what's going on in your life? I remember you from two years ago. I remember you from one year ago. And who you are now is so much different. What's going on? He's like, oh, my goodness. There's this guy, Matt Keller, who has this coaching program. <laughs> For just $350, he could, and I'm like, oh, my. I'm like, it's really that good? Oh, my goodness. It's changed my life, and it's revolutionized my leadership and our church and all of these things. I'm like, yeah, Matt Keller, that's, you know, oh gosh. And so I signed up for Matt Keller's Leadership Network. <laughs> and now I, like three times a year, I spend two days with him. And I, it's the best thing that I've ever done leadership-wise. And it's, like, it's such the best $350 I spend every single year. Because it's been such an investment in me and what it was that I'm doing. But for two years, I completely missed out on what was possible for me. Because I thought Matt was trying to farther his agenda in my life, and I was too busy focusing on my own agenda and what it was that I wanted to do. As long as Matt was saying, hey, you can do it, you're awesome, all of that stuff, I was all for Matt, and I loved him. But as soon as he was asking me to do something, I was like, no, like, that's not how it goes, clown. I run the show around here. You invest in me, I don't invest in you. What are you trying to pull on me? And that wasn't terrible. Like, our church is still alive. We're almost five years old, so we, we survived and I survived. But there could have been more for me and there could have been more for us sooner had I recognized what it was that was going on and what it was that I was missing out on. Now, the question that I have for you is what are you missing out on? What's the thing that if you were to do this, your life would be radically different than it is now. It would be radically changed. There would be a dramatic result in it. Is it Jesus? Have you missed out on Jesus? And who he is? What he has for you? Have you missed out on the mission of Jesus and what it is that he created you and what it is that he's called you to do? Because it's so easy for us to do that. And it's what we see happening in Luke chapter 4. It's the beginning of Jesus' miraculous ministry on earth. For 30 years, he's been living life just like us, except for he's been perfect, so maybe not so like us. But he's been going through everything that we go through. He hasn't turned water into wine yet. He hasn't walked in water or raised the dead or healed the sick or cast out demons. None of that stuff has occurred yet. But we go, he goes, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he comes out. He's tempted by Jesus like we talked about last week. And then he begins the miraculous ministry. And it picks up in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. And he taught regularly in the synagogue and was praised by everyone. Now, this is one of those rare moments that you might have for just a brief second in your life where everybody just loves you and everybody is praising you and you can do no wrong. And that's how it starts out for Jesus. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning that now he's able to do the miraculous and the supernatural. He's setting the example for what our life can be as a believer when we're filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's going around, he's healing people, he's teaching with boldness, uh, he's, he's hanging out with all of the sinners, they're his best friends, and he's, he's inviting them into his family and to be a part of his community. He's raising the dead. I mean, just absolutely insane miracles like people have never seen before are occurring. And it says that because of the power of the Holy Spirit on him, he's doing the miraculous, and everybody's just blown away by it, and everybody is going nuts, and they're all praising him. Everybody loves Jesus. They just can't get enough of Jesus. Then it continues, and it says, in 16 through 19, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, that's the place that he grew up in, 
He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus goes to church on Sunday, just throwing that one out there, and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So here's the first thing. If you don't want to miss out on the mission of Jesus, you must know his mission. And this is what Jesus is doing. When he opens up the scroll and reads from Isaiah, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. It's talking about what it is that God is going to do for his people who have been deposed, who have been scattered, who are living as oppressed people, who are living as slaves in other nations. This is the prophecy looking forward to who the Messiah is going to be and what the mission of the Messiah is going to be all about. So he starts out by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. We saw that. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The power, the presence of God is dwelling inside of him, operating out of that. He says that I'm anointed so that I can bring good news to the poor. Well, who are the poor? Because when we think of the poor, we think of it as a dollar sign kind of thing. If you don't have this amount of money, now you live below the poverty line, that qualifies you as being poor. And the reason we think of that is because we've become so materialistic as a culture that we think of being poor as only being about money. I've met some people that were impoverished financially that were a lot richer than I am. And I've met some really, really rich people who are the poorest people that you will ever meet. Because it's not just about money. Money's part of it. Money is a part of what it's talking about. But it also goes to talk about things of anybody that's outside. So that would come down to gender. If you're a woman, you are more on the outside than a man would be. If you're a Gentile, you are more on the outside than a Jew would be. If you are diseased or sick, you're more on the outside than other people are going to be. Uh, it comes down even to things like if you aren't a part of the family of God, you're on the outside. You are someone who is poor. So really, who's poor? We all were. We were all outside of the family of God. We might have had money. We might have had privilege. We might have had status. We might have had everything else that this world has to offer. But we were once on the outside of the family of God. And God didn't look at us and say, look at that rich person. They've got it all together. They don't need me. God looked at us and he saw the poverty of our souls. And he had mercy on us. And it says that he was coming to us to preach the good news. And the good news is this, is that even though you're poor, even though you're on the outside, the kingdom of God is coming to you. And not just that, but the king of the kingdom is coming to you. And he's not keeping you on the outside anymore, but he's inviting you to come in. He's inviting you who wasn't acceptable, who didn't measure up in our culture, in our society. He's inviting you to come in. He's inviting you who was far from God, that was living in sin, that deserved God's anger and his wrath, but instead he pours out his mercy and his compassion on you and he invites you to come into his kingdom. He invites you to come in and to live as his son, as his daughter, and for him to be your father. That's the good news, is that every single one of us was poor, every single one of us was broken, but the Messiah has come to preach that the kingdom has come to us a people who didn't deserve it. And he says that he's going to proclaim that captives will be released. 
Uh, for the people that Isaiah is prophesying to, they're all captives. Israel's been conquered. They've been scattered out across a different empire. They are the lowest totem pole as you can be. They are, they're literally living as slaves to other people. They have no say in what happens in their lives. They are treated terribly and cruelly and abused. And Jesus says that I'm coming and I'm going to proclaim release to all of the captives. That you're going to be set free from the slavery that you live in. But it was also looking forward to us is that we might not have lived as a slave to any other person, but we were a slave to sin. We were separated from God because of that. But he came, and even though we might have had willpower, we're trying to break free from it, we just found that we couldn't break free from it. That slave had a hold on us, that we ended up serving the things that we didn't want to do, all of the things that we hated. We just kept finding ourselves going back to these things again and again because it was a slave that was lording over us. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to preach release from that. You're going to be freed from slavery. You're going to be freed from the sin that has entrapped you for so long and that has kept you from living out the identity that I have called you to. He says that he's going to make it so that the blind will see. And this is talking about there will be miraculous restoration of vision to those who are physically blind, but it's also speaking to the fact that Jesus is going to come. He's going to take off the blinders that all of us were wearing that kept us from seeing God, that kept us from seeing his love and his mercy for us, that kept us from seeing how great he is and how good his plans are for us. Because we were all that person once. We didn't see who God was. I love the Apostle Paul. He was living as far from God as you can. His whole job was to kill Christians. That's pretty opposite of what Jesus has called us to do. And it says that when he has this miraculous encounter with God, he goes and someone prays for him and says that scales fall off of his eyes. And he's able to see Jesus clearly able to see what he was made for, able to see who he was called to be. Every one of us, we have these spiritual scales and blinders that are over us. You might say, I don't understand how people can not love Jesus like I do and think that being a Christian is awesome. Well, it's because you used to have scales on your eyes and they were removed. Jesus miraculously restored spiritual sight to you and that just hasn't happened to the other person yet. And until that happens to someone else, they're never going to see how awesome God is and how great the life is that he's called us to because they're spiritually blinded. Not because of any fault of their own, because that's the way that every single one of us was born. But Jesus has come to restore uh, sight to those who are blind. And then he says this, the oppressed will be set free. See, we haven't just been released from the slavery of sin, we've been released from the oppression that comes from sin. Because you can go from being a slave to being free and still suffer a whole lot of oppression, right? Just because you're free doesn't mean that you aren't oppressed anymore. And what Jesus is saying is that I'm going to come and not only am I going to set you free so that you're no longer under someone else's authority and rule, but I'm going to remove the oppression that others would try to put on you. That's going to be totally removed from you. And then finally he says, and he's going to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That this is the time right now that God's favor is being poured out on the earth. And what this is drawing on is the analogy of the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, according to the Jewish law, there was the year of Jubilee. And it's when they didn't plant anything in the fields. The fields had rest. And it was when if you had sold yourself to be a bondservant, when the year of Jubilee came, you were released from that. All contracts were voided. If you had debt... All of your debt was gone. Like, all of you students, you're waiting for the year of Jubilee to come to you when all of your student debt is miraculously erased. 
And if you had sold land, all of the land returned to the original owners every 50 years. It was the reset. Everything that had been taken, every debt, every encumbrance that you had brought upon yourself was all released from you. That's the year of Jubilee, and that's a pretty good name for it. And that's what it's talking about. God says the year of Jubilee, this time of my favor, of release and total restoration for you, that has come. This is the mission of Jesus this is why he came. This is what he came to do. This is who Jesus is. And so if we want to be those who don't miss out on it, we have to recognize what this mission of Jesus is. And then it goes on in Luke 4, uh, 20 through 21. It says that he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And when you just get up and you say this, people are going to be curious, like, wow, what just happened? And then he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. This thing that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years as a people, it's here. This isn't something we're just looking forward to anymore, but it's for us, and it's for now. So the second thing is we have to know that he's fulfilling his mission today. Jesus makes the claim that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, that this is what he is doing currently. It's not something that we're waiting for in the future. It's not something we continue to hope for, but our hope is being fulfilled. It's being realized in Jesus and his mission and his work and who we are and what's happening in our world today. The king has come and he's brought his kingdom with him. We're not waiting for this anymore. It's here for us now. And we have to embrace it, and we have to recognize it. And when the crowd hears this, they start to go insane. It says this in verse 22. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But how can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And this is where things start to change. Because they're going nuts thinking our Savior has come, the Messiah is here, everything is going to be great. And then they start to think, wait a second, can this guy really do this? Can he really be the one who's going to do all of the things that he says that he's going to do? Because he's just Joseph's son. He's from our town. Like, he grew up with us, right? We played whatever they played with him back then. And now he's the Messiah? And here's what happens to us. is we start to doubt Jesus. And if we want to be those who don't miss out on what Jesus is doing and we can't doubt Jesus' ability to accomplish his mission. When you hear what God wants to do in your life, when you look at his quotation from Isaiah and what it is that he wants to do in you personally, what it is that he wants to do inside of our city that we live in, inside of the nation that we live in, and inside of our world, do we really believe that Jesus can accomplish that mission? Or do we start to be like the people of his hometown, that it sounds really good at first and you're really excited about it, then you start to wonder to yourself, wait a second, can Jesus really do this? Is he the one that can really be the fulfillment of this in my life? I mean, isn't that, look at what we do with relationships. What we do is we say, yes, Jesus, you're awesome, you complete me, you're my fulfillment, you're all I need, except for I'm so desperately lonely and afraid and scared and I really need a soulmate, Jesus. Would you just provide me with that? Because I don't really believe that I could ever be complete and fulfilled in you and in you alone. And that's what starts to happen. You see it all the time. You see people and they're single and we have a desire for a soulmate in us. That's great. But here's the problem. If you're looking for fulfillment of what only Jesus can do in your life in someone else who isn't Jesus, 
you're going to be sorely disappointed. Ask my wife what it's like if she were to try to find fulfillment and contentment and completion in me, like she would be the most depressed person on the face of this earth because I cannot do any of those things that Jesus came to do inside of her. Know what I can do? Mow the lawn. Like, that's what I bring to the table, people. <laughs> that's about it. That's not very messianic, though. It's what we do with politics. It's why we get so excited about politics and so filled with hope, and it's why we get so crushingly full of despair and defeat. It's because we say all of these things that Jesus is going to do inside of the world, well, he can't quite do it on his own. So, so we have to get some politicians, and they're the ones. Our hope's really in them. And God does use politicians. Governments are ordained by God. I'm glad that we have governments. Uh, anarchy sounds really terrible, having never experienced it, but I don't want to. And so I'm very grateful that God does give us governments. And there's a call for us to pray and to honor and support those who govern over us and to, to be a part of the process. But it's like going into marriage and looking for someone that's going to completely make you full and, and set you free and release captives and all of these other things. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can change our hearts. So if we're looking to a marriage, a relationship, if we're looking to a, a political official to come and to change the hearts of the people to bring in the year of God's favor, you're going to be depressed. You're never going to find that from anything other than Jesus. But the problem with our hearts is even though we love hearing about who Jesus is and what he's going to do, real quickly, we, like the rest of the of this people in his town, they start saying, wait a minute, this is just Jesus. Can he really do this? He doesn't say he's the son of Joseph. What they're not saying is he's the son of God. They're not accepting him as the son of God. They're thinking of him just as the son of Joseph, which is much less than being the son of God. Now, Jesus was a lot of things, but one thing that he was not was the son of Joseph. What we do when we start to look to other things to do what only God can do inside of us and inside of other people is we start to take Jesus from being the son of God to the son of Joseph. And when we begin to do that, we begin to miss out on what it is that God wants to do. And then Jesus... He knows what's going on, right? I mean, he's God. He knows what's happening, what people are saying, and what they're thinking about him, the thought process that's going on in them. So he says this, and this changes, this really tanks the whole encounter for everybody. He says in verse 23, then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three, day, for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one man was healed, and it was Naaman, a Syrian. So the fourth thing is, don't let Jesus become a hometown prophet to you. I didn't even try to be funny, but man, that's good. I'm on a roll. <laughs> so here's what happens. Culturally, what they're saying is when they say, physician, heal yourself. What that means is that there was an expectation that what Jesus had done for other people well, he was going to do even greater things for his own people, right? If Jesus is healing all of these other people in Capernaum and casting out demons and raising the dead and healing people, well, if he's doing that for a people who aren't a part of his family, then certainly he's going to do something even better for us. 
What they did was they looked at what Jesus did for someone else, and then they raised the stakes on that of what their expectation was that he was going to and what he owed them to do in their life. And so they're saying, okay, we think you're just the son of Joseph, so why don't you prove that you really are the Messiah by doing some miracles that are even greater for us than you did for them? Because after all, like, we're your friends. We played rugby together. Remember that time that we were taking the math test? Yeah, you owe me, Jesus. And that's the expectation that they have. And because of that expectation, Jesus says, I'm not going to do anything for you. And he says, and here's the biblical precedent for that. God goes to outsiders. He does miraculous things for his people all the time, but he doesn't just do it for his people. Sometimes he goes to those that are outside of the family and does something miraculous for them, like a Gentile widow or a Syrian soldier who'd been like, oppressing the Jewish people severely. But he didn't heal the Jewish people that had leprosy. He goes to the enemy and heals the enemy of the leprosy. Have you ever seen God do something really great in someone? And you're like, oh man, he's going to do something even better for me, right? If God did that for them, what's he going to do for me? I, I, I'm, this is like Christmas morning. If my parents got that for my cousin, what do they got for me? And there's an expectation that Jesus is going to do something bigger and something better for you because you deserve it. And when you take on that attitude, you go from operating in a place of grace and mercy and gratitude and faith in what God can do in you to a place of entitlement, a place of expectation that doesn't come from who God is and what his heart is, but to what it is that God owes you. This is one of those tough ones for me. As I remember praying for a woman who had a, a tumor, a cancerous tumor, and she was going in to have it removed, not a Christian, made no claim to follow Jesus. Prayed for her, goes in for the surgery, the tumor is gone. Not just that she doesn't have cancer, the tumor has miraculously disappeared from her body, and the doctors have no idea. I'm like, I know how it happened, because Jesus did something. But medically, no explanation, before and after pictures of, here's your tumor on the image, and here's no tumor on the image. Like, what just happened? Jesus just happened. And then praying for my father-in-law, who had been following Jesus since he was 18 years old, serving in his church, teaching in kids' ministry, God bless him, Raising godly children, serving as a deacon in his church, he gets cancer. He doesn't get healed. He ends up dying. God, what the heck? Like, if you did this for someone that doesn't even claim to follow you, that hasn't been serving you a day in their life, like, wouldn't you do something better for us? And the temptation then is for faith to be destroyed inside of your heart. And for you to become bitter. Because Jesus is doing things for people that are outside. He's doing things that are following his agenda instead of following your agenda. You can get mad at God because he's blessing other people so much and you feel like he owes you more. When we do that, Jesus becomes a hometown prophet to us. And we don't have faith in him. We don't have trust in him. And we end up abandoning the mission of Jesus and what it is that he's called us to do. And that's something we all face. That's a temptation that comes to every one of us. Because in our lives, we're all going to get to this place where we have to make a decision. And it says this in Luke 4, 28. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. 
Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. And they intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. They got so mad at Jesus because he had a mission that he was sticking to, to go out and to proclaim liberty to captives, release for them, freedom from oppression, sight for the blind, the good news of the kingdom coming to all of us who are poor, and that he was so committed to that, instead of being committed to our own mission that we have for our life and our own expectation that we have of how our life is supposed to play out and how Jesus is supposed to serve us, that they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to push him off a cliff. But this is what we have to do. When we find ourselves in that place where we have to, to make that decision, or are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to push him off the cliff, is we have to reject our mission and join in the mission of Jesus. How easy is it for us to make Jesus our personal Savior? And by that I mean he's the Savior that comes and he serves us. God, here's the plan for my life. This is what we're going to do, all right? So I need you to superpower me so that I can go out and I can get that career that I've always wanted. Jesus, I need your superpower involved in me so I can go out and I can get the money that it is that I need to do the things that I want. Jesus, I, my job is terrible. I don't like my boss. God, deliver me from this horrible place. You haven't done it yet. Jesus, I'm going to push you off a cliff because you didn't get the memo. You weren't serving me and my agenda. Jesus, why, were you, why did you give this other person such a good job? Jesus, how come I'm sick and you healed them? Jesus, how come my marriage is falling apart and you restored their marriage? Jesus, how come they're being promoted to these different ministries? Like, God, why is their church blowing up? And, like, mine's, like, growing, like, three people a year, which is good, I guess. Like, we all have these things where we look at how Jesus is blessing other people and we look at our own mission, we look at our own agenda, and we're like, Jesus, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to follow the agenda of Jesus of preaching the good news to the poor? Or am I going to be about making Jesus serve me and what it is that I think that he should be doing in my life? Am I going to get mad at Jesus because he's doing things for other people I don't see him doing in me? That's the decision that we all have to make. And it's not an easy one. But look how fast that crowd went from loving Jesus and praising him and being all in on what he was about and then trying to kill him in just an instant. Y'all stand up with me this morning. I'm just going to pray. We're going to ask God to speak to us and to do something in our hearts. Because here's what I know. This life that God has called us to, it's tough. And sometimes we have questions. Sometimes we have doubts. There's a lot of times when we don't understand things. And it doesn't all make sense to us. And that's when we have to make the decision, are we going to be about the mission of Jesus are we going to be about the mission of us? Are we going to keep coming before the feet of Jesus in our healing and in our sickness, in our prospering, in the areas of lack in our life? Are we going to come to Jesus in, in the fullness of our blessing and in the times where we just really desperately need something from him? In our joy and in our suffering, are we always going to choose to come to Jesus? 
because he's the one who's so worthy, because he's the one who has life. This is what I love. There's another story in there. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching some hard things about what it means to follow him. And a whole bunch of people walk away from Jesus. It says that from that point on, the masses, they didn't follow him anymore. There were thousands of people on here, Jesus. Jesus says, this is what it costs to follow me. They're like, we're out. And they all walk away. And Jesus turns to his disciples who've been hearing the same thing. He says, and will you leave me too? And this is how they respond. They say, where would we go? You're the one that has the words of life. They didn't say, oh no, this makes complete sense, Jesus. I'm excited about this. They said, we might have questions too and it might be really tough for us to follow you at times and, and to have faith in you and to abandon this own, our own mission, our own expectations for our life. But we found life in you. And we haven't found that anywhere else. We found life in you. In you, we found what we were looking for. In you, we found the completion that nothing else could bring us. In you, we found the peace and the joy that no one else could bring us and that no one could take away from us. Jesus, I still have questions. I still have insecurities and doubts and things that don't make sense. And there's still things that I wish I would see in my life that I'm not seeing. But, but you have life. And you've given that to me. And because of that, there's nowhere else that I can go. And this morning, if you're at that crossroads of you're having to make that decision, am I going to follow Jesus and in his mission? Or am I going to get mad at him because he's not following mine? This is what I'm telling you. Go after Jesus. Or maybe you made that decision and your life has just been stale and your relationship has been tired and you don't sense that closeness to God, that intimacy, that love anymore. And then there's a good chance that at some point you got mad at Jesus. And this morning he's calling you just like he's always been. And this morning he wants to reveal to you how good he is how great his love and how great his affections are for you. And if you'll just open yourself up to receive that from him, then like a wave's gonna come over you of joy and peace and contentment. You're gonna be blown away by how good his love is for you. And you might still have the questions, you might still have some hurt in your life, but he's gonna begin the process of that healing in you. And if you'll submit yourself to his mission, if you'll walk away from yours and follow after what he's doing and become a partner with him in his ministry of reconciliation, that he's going to take you places that you never dreamed of and he's going to do things through you that you can't even imagine. But it takes a life submitted to him. A life of repentance, of walking away from what you were doing so that you can walk into what he's called you to. And if that's you this morning, every eye is closed and every head's bowed. This morning, you want to follow Jesus. This morning, you want to walk away. You want to repent of the anger or the way you've been following your own life, and you just want to know Jesus and his love and mercy. Just go ahead and just raise your hands up. This is a, this is a symbol of, like, God, pour that in me. God, pour your love and your grace and your mercy in me. God, forgive me, and God, restore a right spirit in me. God, pour out love into me that I can't contain, that bubbles over and out of me. Jesus, for every hand that's raised, God, for every heart that's seeking after you this morning, we know that you are the reward for all those that seek after you. And Jesus, we pray that you would put your peace that surpasses all understanding over every heart, Jesus. God, that you would work something new in them, that, 
That God, like a child, that once again they would be able to trust in you. And God, that they would be able to receive love from you. And Jesus, that, that for us as a church, you've called us to be your body here on this earth. You've called us to be partners in the ministry of reconciliation, God, in all areas. So God, raise us up as a city on a hill. Jesus, empower us with your Holy Spirit, not for our own benefit, God, but for the benefit of our city, God. And would you do something new in us, God, and in Radiant Church, because we're your people, and we're abandoning everything else to come after you and where you're leading us and what you've called us to. Father, we love you. And this morning we receive. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come up here. That's going to be right in the front on each side here. If God's doing something in your heart, we would love to pray with you. And just allow Jesus to do something inside of you, encourage you, uh, support you in any way that we can. If you have uh, some sickness that you're going through or a struggle in a relationship, you need wisdom, whatever it is, like, we believe Jesus can. And so come and, and let us pray for you in that. And uh, then also, if you want to be a part of the Engage class here about how you get plugged in at Radiant, on one of the ministry teams, be back in here in about 10 minutes, and we'll be able to talk about that and meet some people. If not, go out, drink some coffee, meet some friends, and we'll see you all back here next week. God bless.